because man must not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, would you turn with me to Micah chapter 5, verse 2? That's Micah 5, verse 2. I'll give you guys some time to turn there. Now, daughter, who is under attack, you slash yourself in grief. A siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be a ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit past that. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace when Assyria invades our land, when it marches against our fortresses. We will rise against it, seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. They will shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword the land of Nimrod, with a drawn blade, so he will rescue us from Assyria when it invades our land, when it marches against our territory. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this Christmas day in celebration of, uh, of you coming here. Lord, there are so many distractions when it comes to Christmas. We focus on gifts and uh, meeting with family and friends, and these are all great things and good things from you, but help us to remember our sin and our need of a Savior, and that this message here is to proclaim the good news of Jesus who has come to save us and to restore us back to Christ. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. If any of you are anything like me, Christmas is one of my favorite holidays. In fact, we treat any holiday as a good holiday because it means we get work off. On most holiday occasions, we aren't necessarily celebrating the holiday itself, but celebrating our need of a day off. It may not be like that for all of you, but that's one of the ways I see holidays. Particularly for Christmas, we are excited to exchange gifts and meet with family and friends. But what exactly is Christmas and why do we celebrate it? Why is Christmas important for Christians? When we think about Christmas, there appear only happy thoughts. But the story of Jesus' birth is one that has unpleasant origins. Jesus was born in a manger. And for those who don't know what a manger is, it's a long open box where livestock eat from. And not only that, Jesus' life was in danger. King Herod wanted to murder Jesus in search of him, and in doing so, killed many children. Friends, among the difficulties surrounding this miraculous birth of Christ, we gather this night in celebration of the Savior's birth. Roughly 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was born in a small city known as Bethlehem. 
And this prophetic text that we are reading is anticipating 700 years earlier the coming of this ruler. He is the Messiah who has come to rule over the people of Israel and also to rule over all nations. This is the Christmas story, that Jesus would come to this world and restore his people. So today's main point is the lowly Messiah born among the small clans of Judah is your ruler and your king. The main point is the lowly Messiah born among the small clans of Judah is your ruler and your king. The first part is the city of the king is Bethlehem. Take a look at the beginning of verse 2. It says, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. Now, Bethlehem is by no means an important city. It is an insignificant city. There is no glory that it possesses. They have no strength or might. Militarily, they are weak and fragile. And that might be difficult for some of us to grasp as we are living in a country with the strongest military to have ever existed. Yet there's a promise here that from among them would come the ruler of Israel to put things into a little bit of context. Judah is nearing a disaster. They're desperate at this point. The Assyrians are going to invade their lands, break down their walls and their livestock and its people. The prophet Micah is pronouncing the judgment that they will face. Contextually, when we look at this passage, there is no celebration or rejoicing. The prophet Micah in the first four chapters is making accusations against the people of Israel for their rebellion. The leaders have turned to bargaining, theft, and practicing injustice. They bend justice. They obscure it, and God hates it. He's deeply angry at how his people have broken his laws, and he sends the prophet Micah to pronounce warnings to his people. Now, for some, this is no good news at all. It isn't good news that a ruler would come from a small and insignificant city like Bethlehem. You could imagine some people who are unhappy about this. They're about to get destroyed, and instead of raising a ruler from amongst the strongest clans, they're going to bring a ruler from a powerless and small clan of Judah? Friends, would you trust God? But to those who remain faithful, who patiently endure and trust in God's word, this message is of great hope. Because those that disobey God's word do not trust in him. They only trust their own strength and what their eyes can see. God's word isn't good enough for them. They're worried about how a ruler from Bethlehem is going to save them. They do not understand that God is the one who is in control and chooses the weak to accomplish its purposes because his word is sufficient and powerful. We see this happen with King David, particularly, who was also from Bethlehem in Judah. In 1 Samuel 17, 12, it says, King David is described as the son of an Ephratite named Jesse, hence the name Bethlehem Ephrathah. Mentioning Judah distinguishes another Bethlehem in the land of Zebulun up north in the northern region. King David, being the youngest and a shepherd, 
was the least of his brothers. Yet he became the greatest. Similarly, look with me to Matthew 2, 6. If you guys can turn there, you guys could go, or I'll just read it for you. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. From Bethlehem, Ephrathah, in Judah, will come a mighty and conquering king. He is Israel's ruler. If God has raised a king before in Bethlehem once, then he can also raise one again. So what makes Bethlehem significant? Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. From a human perspective, the people of Israel did not see the messianic king from Bethlehem to be wise from a human perspective. And John Calvin wrote, who could have expected that a king would have been chosen from such a hamlet and then that he should come from a hut? This was done contrary to the expectations of men, end quote. God uses the weak, otherwise the insignificant, to bring glory to himself. Bethlehem, being miserable and small among the clans, shames the strong so that they cannot boast in God's presence that they were the reason for any success. Israel cannot accomplish anything apart from God, and that is why we see in verse 2 that God will choose a ruler from them, and the ruler is going to be God himself, which leads to my next point. Point two, Jesus Christ is the eternal God. Jesus Christ is the eternal God. The second part of verse 2 says, his origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. This verse gives us a hint that, there is no, that this is no average ruler. He isn't a fleeting king who is coming and passing by, like the rest of the kings of the world. But as it states in verse 4, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. His dominion is the whole entire earth. What does it mean by antiquity and from ancient times? Last week, our brother Rock uh, shared a message in Isaiah 9, uh, 6. It reads, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulder. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And we see the Apostle John write in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome him. This ruler from ancient times is God. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal shepherd king. He will be unlike any other ruler because he is God himself. And here is the good news. Micah 1 through 4 is not only describing the destruction of people, but that God's intention is actually to restore them. This is why this ruler calls himself a shepherd in verse 4. And this ruler desires to restore you. He will become your good shepherd. He will give you peace. Friends, this hope is for you. Those who are faithful and accept Jesus Christ as his shepherd will be saved. If there is anything that you should remember today, it's the gospel. And this gospel is about Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God created man and woman through his word. And we rebelled against God and deserve to go to hell for eternity because of our sins. We love injustice and are evil doers. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his one and only son in the flesh to live the life that we should have lived and died on the cross for our sins. And whoever repents of their sins and trusts in Jesus Christ will have eternal life and the good shepherd will give it to him. Friends, choose life. All those who reject him will face God's wrath and eternal conscience punishment in the lake of fire. This is the message of the gospel, and this is our Christmas story. Why do we need God to be our shepherd king? Because there is no one who is good, not one who does the will of God perfectly. We live in a sinful world or are morally defective, our, de our devices are useless, and we are plagued with sin. We are in need of a perfect shepherd who will guide us and lead us well. And this perfect shepherd, this perfect king must be God. No other person can give us security, peace, and sustain our lives but God himself. And this is the promise to us today. And here are some supplemental applications before we close that I would want to uh, give to you. Brothers and sisters, boast in Christ. Every good work that you do, boast in him. Humbly receive the word and advice from other brothers and sisters, and even those who may be older than you. Be teachable in every season of your life and know that what may appear wise from a human perspective is not always wise from God's perspective. Second point, take this week and the new year to praise God in your families and share the gospel with your neighbors. Share the gospel with your children and with your coworkers. Be saturated in Christ this holiday season. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful to have gathered here this night to hear of your word. Although we may be few in numbers, God, we are excited and we want to hold steadfast onto your promises and your word. God, you did not have to send your son to die for us, but you gave him freely because you love us and because you wish to restore us to you. Help us in our unbelief. Help our friends and coworkers who do not know the gospel to receive it. Allow this message to be part of our life. 
In Jesus' name, amen.